listening to First Church Charlotte. in the house of the Lord. I'm going to quickly move into the scripture tonight. I have uh, several several things that I want to share with you. We have been talking on our Wednesday night Bible study time. We've been talking on the subject of ethics and how they how they apply in our, our Christian walk, how they apply in our relationship one with another. Uh, ethics talks about our duty that we have to God. It talks about our duty we have one to another. It talks about how we protect uh, various elements of uh, our lives and how we safeguard very, very important things. I have been reading as a proof text. I have been reading from this fun passage um, in uh, John chapter number eight. Let's, let's, since this is my last night on ethics, let's read from this passage one more time and I will give you the opportunity to say something humorous to your neighbor and then we'll get right into the, the word of the Lord. Stand with me. Uh, Matthew chapter number eight and John, I'm sorry, forgive me. John chapter number eight, and I am going to read, I believe it's verse 44, uh, where Jesus uh, speaks of, of this. Uh, let's see. Yes, let's start at verse number 44. Jesus is speaking to the uh, Pharisees and scribes that are critiquing him. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. Say that part with me. You want to do. In other words, the unity that you have with the enemy is a unity of desire. There is a unity of wants and wishes between what the enemy wants and what the carnal heart wants. And so uh, tonight we're talking about uh, this subject, seven ethical goals, seven ethical goals. Before you're seated, uh, fist bump your neighbor and say something like this. Whenever the pastor reads about the devil, you need to listen closely. So I want to very quickly review some of the things that we have talked about. I won't spend much time on this. All of the uh, teaching, all of the uh, lessons are available on our church website. But the first understanding that we have to have, and you guys have made this journey with me through the scripture, is that ethics flows from God's nature. It is reflective of who he is. God is good. God is love. God is true. God is holy. He doesn't have to try to be good. That's what I have to do. That's what you have to do. God is good. And he is righteous. And he is holy. And if we want to live our life in a way that is not of the kingdoms of this world, but rather is by the values of the kingdom of heaven, we have to care about ethics. Because ethics is the manner in which we manifest the values of another kingdom, the goals of another kingdom. Just as much as spirituality reveals our heart for the presence of God, ethics reveals our pursuit of the heart of God. 
Because ethics flows from his nature. And so we talked about that. We talked about that some, and I will not spend uh, too much more time on that other than to remind you of how we got here. I want to remind you all that as believers, we are called, somebody say, I am called. I am called called to live by another kingdom's values. Uh, A label, a religious label will not save us It will not cover the fact that we are living by the values of this world. We must seek to have our hearts transformed. This is the point of the Holy Spirit working in our life. You must become a partaker of the divine nature. You must have your heart changed, not simply where you do no sin, but you lose the desire for a life of sin. This is the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, maybe not the whole, but almost the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the point of Jesus saying things like this. You have heard it in times past where it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say unto to you, if it's in your heart, morally and ethically, it is of the same thing because you are of your father, the devil. And what you want is something that is not yours to possess. He was a thief from the beginning of our nature. If we're not careful, we can seek to find meaning in things that have more association with this world than with the kingdom of God. Can I have a big amen? But if we are changed in our nature, if we become holy, that is what God is. It is his nature. Holiness is not the actions of God. It is the nature of God. So the only path to holiness for us is to become partakers of his nature. We cannot obey our way to holiness. We must be born again. The good news is the Holy Spirit is for every one of us. I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. (laughs) Amen, 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 amen. And this is so exciting to see someone begin this journey when the Spirit gives us evidence that he is dwelling within us and invites us to live a different kind of life. You are not just a person stuck on this planet. You are not just a random American uh, here trying to, you know, make it to the weekend. Uh, (laughs) Weekends when I work, I'm not trying to make it to the weekend. I'm trying to make it to Monday, honey. (laughs) So I I want you to see you are invited by the Spirit of the Lord. You are invited to live by another kingdom's values, another kingdom's goals, another kingdom's uh, style of living, style of overcoming. It is a complete transformation. You must be born again. And so this is how we are invited to take on the nature of God. We are not good enough to take on his nature. He's going to solve that through mercy, grace, spiritual covering of our sins. And since he has done that, he invites us not just to enter in, hear me, he does not simply invite us to enter into the holy of holies. He invites us to become the holy of holies. He's not just inviting you to enter the holy of holies. He is asking you to play host to the Shekinah. Yeah. 
Where you have in your life presence, divine presence. This is how this kingdom of God is manifest in our world, our world today. So I want to, uh, having uh, talked about uh, some of these, the path we took to get here to this understanding of, of, of spiritual and, and, and Christian ethics, I want to give you a handful of things that I think uh, are uh, principles of Scripture that manifest the choice an individual makes to pursue the nature of God rather than just be uh, have a label on their life. All of us are tempted to serve God by identity. <clears throat> Stay with me. That's not a bad thing, but that is incomplete if you haven't the nature to go along with the identity. Stay with me. Uh, the children of Israel are invited to be the people of God. They receive through Abraham the, the covenant of God's promise, the covenant of God's assurance upon them. They are now a blessed people. But something happens to them as they take on their religion as identity, not as relationship. Now, I actually, this Sunday, I preached a little bit about this. Exodus 19, the children of Israel tell Moses, we don't want to talk to God. We want you to talk to God for us. We're afraid. The mountains are shaken. Uh, the thunder, the lightning, you talk to God for us. Abraham's, not Abraham, Moses. If I say the wrong name, just figure it out. <laughs> and we'll just assume you have the word of knowledge working in your life. I mean, there's only Moses, 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 Moses. There's only Moses, Moses. There's only Moses, Noah, and Abraham. Just you, you just sort it out. You know who they are. So, so the, the, the uh, Moses then, having received this commandment from the, the the or this request from the people, we don't want to talk with God. He goes into the presence of God, and what does he bring them? Law. He brings them law. This is the result. If you do not have a relationship, you get law. In the New Testament, we are invited to serve the Lord from the heart. And what is it that is the replacement for that law? Love. So you've heard a million preachers say this, and you've probably wondered what it means. Serving God is not enough to have a label. You need to have a relationship with God. You need to seek the heart of God. The law will not help you if you miss the heart of God. That's what the Pharisees got wrong. They knew the law inside and out, and they missed the heart of God. So here we are. We're seeing how we must choose to pursue God in our life. You are invited, and I am invited, to a way of living. Jesus, speaking on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Straight is the way, and narrow is the gate that leadeth to life everlasting. Few there be that find it. Uh, Jesus is speaking to a, a religious crowd. They do not think any of them think they are lost. Uh, the house of Israel has no concept of lost. They're Abraham's children. Yeah. They can't 
Uh, they, they have no concept of lost. That's why when you read the Sermon on the Mount, they don't talk about sin versus serving God. That's not, the, that's not what it's talking about. It's not even talking about saved versus lost. The children of Israel have no sense of lost. How can I not be a child of Abraham? They have no sense of lost. And Jesus says to these people who have no sense of saved and lost, he says there's a way that not everybody can find. It's a narrow way. It's a straight way. What are you talking about, Jesus? He's talking about the pursuit of the kingdom of God, living by the values of another kingdom, living by a divine invitation to know him. This is the resounding song of the epistles where Paul and Peter and James and, and John are talking about in their writings to the church how they are pursuing the presence of God, how they are hungry for the presence of God in their life and they're seeking. And even after all they've gone through, they say, look, we, uh, we don't count ourselves to have arrived at any place. Even so, we are pursuing, we are running the race, we are seeking. God has invited everyone one of us to a way. He has invited us to pursue his heart and serve in his kingdom. So the first principle that you will see that is an invitation to a different kind of life. Lord, I pray that we would take this seriously. Lord, I pray that we as believers would not simply be satisfied to get a religious card punched on the weekend. But God, I pray we would be hungry to know you. I pray we would be hungry to turn our cars into places of worship. I pray we would be hungry to set aside time and just have, just have reflection of the goodness of God. Lord, I pray that this church would not just go through a routine of religiosity. Don't let us just have some kind of label or a identity system. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Lord, let us want to know your heart. Give me a greater hunger for your heart than I have ever had. As the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul after thee, oh God. The first of seven ethical goals. I, I want you to think of these in terms, because uh, it'll change the way you learn from them. If you think of these in terms of spiritual goals, you'll learn one set of lessons from them. But if you'll think of these in terms of ethical goals, it will give you a different set of, of, of lessons that you will learn from them. Number one is this, seek God, not sin. What do I mean by that? Uh, you will see in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> God creates Adam and Eve. He creates Adam and Eve in their original state, which is good, which is of his nature, which is in his image. Notice that Eve, when she falls in sin, she has to choose sin. Why? Because her nature is good. Don't rush past that. Because her nature is good, she has to choose sin. Why? It's not of her nature. She has to be tempted to it. She has to be deceived to it. But when she chooses sin, what happens? Her nature changes. Now she has to choose the good. Oh, y'all didn't just hear what I said. That, that, that is... 
that, that is some profoundly deep spiritual understanding to apply. I don't mean to others, but to apply in our own life. I have to choose the way of God every day. It is not in my nature to choose that. It's in my nature to go towards sin. So I have to choose the tree of life. This is what God's inviting every one of you to do every day. Beyond a label, beyond identity. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I go to church. No, beyond that, you are being invited to choose life. Do you see? You have to do that by the act of your will because your nature will go towards self. Your nature, my nature, will go towards sin. So I have to choose God and the way of God. Amos 5 and 4 gives us this, this image of people who are very much religious in the, in the nature of their, uh, their fathers, in the nature of their, their time. They're very religion, religious, but even there, the prophet speaks for the Lord and calls to them and says this. This is Amos 5, verse number 4. <clears throat> for thus saith the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. This is, even today, the choice you made this morning when you got up out of your bed, when you started your day. You chose whether or not you were going to pursue the presence of God in your life. Or you just didn't think about it. Most of us, perhaps, and I love you, but let me say it anyway, probably just didn't think about it too much. We perhaps had habits in our life that kind of bumped us toward it. I don't want it just to be a habit. I don't want it just to be a gospel station I listen to. I want to get up in the morning and say, I choose you. This whole world is trying to get me to live by its values. It's trying to get me to see through its vision. But Lord, I want to say to myself and to anyone else who happens to hear me, I choose you. It must be the act of your will because we are invited to choose the way of God, not simply the way of the flesh. The second ethical goal. So the first ethical goal is every day of our life, we are going to choose God, not flesh. We're going to choose God, not sin. We're going to choose his way, not our way. It's not always going to be easy. That doesn't matter. We didn't sign up for easy. We chose this way. He told us it was straight. He told us it was narrow. We chose this way. We seek God, not the world, not sin, not rebellion. Number two, uh, I want to read to you a passage. This is from Proverbs chapter number 19, and we will re read at verse number 23. The fear of the Lord <clears throat> leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Uh, this this scripture here, I want to I want you to see, uh, is uh, a reminder of our our sense of, of of fear must be directed toward, and I, I use fear in the sense of honor, respect, devotion. Uh, it must be directed toward God 
and not mankind. Our fear must be toward God and not man. It is possible for us to begin to live uh, for one another. Um, it's, it's very common. It is the way of our hearts. Um, the, the house of Israel uh, made, these, made this error tremendously. Uh, they, they, they began to serve uh, the expectation they had one to another. And so they, they lost their, their fear, their fear of the Lord. I, I want so much in my life, and this isn't easy, and it's not easy for any of us, but I want so much to, if at all possible, to try to live for an audience of one and try to believe that if, if God approves, then everyone else is just opinion. But if God doesn't approve, there's no opinion of humanity that can save me. Do you see? I am, I, I read the story of the house of Israel and I see how they begin to uh, literally become uh, their own kind of, their own kind of judge and jury, which is why they felt comfortable putting the only righteous one who ever lived to death, because they had decided uh, that they were the ones to decide, and they uh, served one another and spoke of God, but really were afraid, uh, not so much of God, but to be afraid of men. Um, so, really quickly, um, how would it have been different if they'd have been really afraid of God? I think the, the perfect answer to that question is, is what Gamaliel said when they tried to get him involved in the persecution of the Christians. This is the uh, beginning of the book of Acts. Um, and he is, they, they try to use his name, his, his uh, religious uh, celebrity status to, to bring persecution against the Christians. And uh, he refuses to do so. And he says this, and this shows, I think, fear of God not just fear of man. He says this. He says, look, if God is not in this, nothing will come of it. It'll just fade away. He said, but if God is in it, I don't want to ever be on the side of attacking God. Amen. Do you see? So, so that is, that shows you how he keep, even though he is this admittedly kind of religious celebrity figure in the time, he keeps a fear of, of God and he will not touch those Christians with persecution. He will not in any way, in any way attack them. You will be tempted in your life to serve other people's opinions. You will be tempted. I will be attempted, um, uh, uh, tempted, I should say, uh, to, to, as it were, worry about what the, the crowd thinks and not live for the approval of the one who uh, died for my sins. But if the Lord will give us strength, we're going to meet this ethical challenge and we're going to fear, fear God and not men. So first of all, we choose God. We do not choose the flesh. We do not choose sin. We, by the act of our will, and we have to choose, we choose God. Number two, we fear God and not men. Number three, I'm going to read First John chapter number two, uh, verse number, chapter number two, verse number 15. We will look at this passage together. Do not love the world. Can I have an amen? amen? Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when I was growing up, um, if any of us kids said they loved something, uh, our, my parents made us quote the scripture. I'm still a little mad about it. And um, I had to quote, I was, oh, I love that car. And uh, my mom would say, no, you can't say that. What's the Bible say? And we'd have to say, 
Love not the world. Neither things in the land of the world. A, if any man loves the world, love the Father's not in it. It's just, uh, you know what? Uh, children these days just don't know how hard it was walking in the snow uphill both ways to school. That's all I have to say about that. So do not love the world or the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all, somebody say all. All that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. This is why Jesus could speak to religious professionals and say, you are of your father, the devil, because you want what he wants. The key to our personal spiritual ethical revolution is when our wants coincide with God's kingdom and God's heart. But as long as our wants coincide with the devil and the kingdom of this world, we, it, it will not matter what else we do, our hearts will not be of God. Our hearts will not be holy. Why? We want the things of the world. That's why we must have a change of heart. And so as an ethical goal, these are ethical goals. We are not going to we are not going to love this world, but we are going to love God. We are going to love the promises of God. That means you're going to have to pr- protect your affections. I, let me say that again. So, uh, I feel like I got one amen over here from uh, uh, Sister D. She was like on my side, but I noticed her mom was quiet. And uh, maybe that <laughs> says something about needed prayer in our lives. I don't know. But <laughs> I want you guys to see this. I want, you to, uh, I, I, wa- I want you to see this. You must protect your affections if you're going to live by another kingdom. Amen. Whenever you catch yourself gushing, make sure it's worth your heart because you're giving your heart to it. I'm talking about your emotions. When you are just in deep adoration of something, whether it's a dream, whether it's a vacation, whether it is a piece of cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory, (laughs) Jesus help us. Whatever it is, you have to make sure it never reaches the high point you have reserved for God. This is an ethical way we live and are not idolaters. Oh, it's quiet now. Mm. It's all right. I'll just add 15 minutes. I figure, you know. No, I want you to see it is a If we're going to live by, remember, ethics flows from his nature. This is what we're talking about. Ethics is not his command only. It is his nature. And if we're going to be of his nature, it's going to have consequences in how we choose to live. We can't simply hide behind identity like the children of Israel did and then go after other gods. That's the whole story of the second temple in the, in, the, in the history of the children of Israel. They had a title. They had a label. They had a system. But every prophet God sends to them is saying, repent. Yeah. Purify your hearts. Protect your hearts. Get right with God. Turn away from this world. And so it is. We must choose to live 
not with an affection for this world. I don't, I don't want anything, if the Lord would help me, I don't want anything to rise to the level of perceived affection or perceived emotion as, as that place I have reserved for God. Because if there's anything else that rises to your... In fact, you ought to, and I ought to, think about the things we love the most. Uh, that's uh, difficult because we don't a lot of times think that way. Let me uh, say it this way. The things that give you the most joy, that's a little easier. The things that you get the most value from, you are at risk of worshiping those things. I am at risk, but I've made a decision and you've made a decision not to be of the devil, not to be of this world, not to live by the values of this world, but to try to live differently, to try to see another kingdom. To look for a city whose builder and maker is God. This is heaven's invitation to all, all of us. Number four, I'm going to read uh, John chapter number eight, and we will look at verse number 44. John chapter number eight, verse number, wait, this is my text. I put it in here again. I won't even read it. Believe God, choose to believe God, and not and not the deceiver. Uh, the nature of the uh, evil one, the nature of the evil one is to steal and to kill and to destroy. It is of his nature to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So when you look at this in terms, in terms of his Role in the heavenlies. What you see is this truth. Number one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Somebody say it's all God's. It's all God's. How do we receive it with God's blessing? This is the doctrine of first fruits. We first acknowledge the source with first fruits and it makes everything else in our life holy of God's gift to us. Okay, so uh, the earth is the Lord's, but what does Lucifer want? He wants to possess that which is God's. He's a thief. Do you see? Okay, who is the author and uh, of life? Who is the giver of life? Who spoke and beings were created and the worlds were formed and he used clay to make uh, humanity and breathe? Who is the author of life? God. And so uh, what is the work of the, de- of the deceiver. He wants to steal what is God's and he wants to kill what God has created. This is the work of, of, of the enemy. And finally, why? what is he trying to destroy? He destroys through perversion. He wants to take what God intended the vessel to be and to do and to turn it to something else. And because its function has been perverted, it's, it has been destroyed. It was created for a purpose. It was created with a divine place and call. And when he turns that from what God intended, he destroys through perversion. And that is what I, what I mean when I say that is what you intended is now turned to something of 
this world, something of our flesh. And so uh, we must see, uh, we, must, we must choose to uh, believe the promises of God and not the lies of the enemy, not the way of the enemy. Uh, number five, um, this is 1 Corinthians 9, and this is going to be a little bit of a harder one, so I, I, I want you to give me a get-out-of-jail-free card before I even get into this, okay? So um, how many of you promise to forgive me no matter what I say to you? Uh, that's about 10%. Uh, we can do better than that. How many of you promise to forgive me no matter how? Uh, okay, thank you very much. This is number five. Obey God and not your appetite. First Corinthians 5, or First Corinthians 9, verse number 24. Uh, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but... One receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. Oh, see, I knew you were going to be mad at me. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. I want you to see, if you set something as the overriding goal of your life, everything else must be brought into subjection to that goal because it's not free. Um, I just watched a documentary. Um, well, I watched the first half of it uh, of the guy who just set the, he just free climbed the most difficult mountain in the world, uh, El Capitan in Yosemite Valley. Uh, it was always called the death sentence, and he just, uh, he just free soloed it. No ropes, uh, 3,500 feet. Um, and the, the, the watching the documentary is horrifying because you start to understand some of the, of the of the climbs and the movements he had to do, uh, he literally uh, it's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy, and uh, any slip uh, is instant death. Um, and to to see how this guy lives, um, his whole life is subject to this this goal, uh, this, this idea, his whole life, he lives in a van. It's not because he doesn't have money. He's pretty famous now. He actually, uh, just from book sales, um, he makes six figures every year just from book sales. Um, he has money. It doesn't matter. He lives in a van. Uh, he, he, his whole life is oriented around this goal. Uh, the difficult, some of the difficult uh, movements on the mountain, he climbed them 30 and 40 times because he had to practice every single movement because there were places where there literally there's no place to grip he has he has uh, half of a thumb here and and below him is just this yawing void and uh, I'm watching this and he he has oriented his whole life around this goal he's given up uh, relationships uh, he's given up he, uh, according to the video he has he has a girlfriend right now uh, but he's given up many girlfriends because uh, they just didn't want a guy who could die at any moment makes sense to me you know, my wife would just like d double the life insurance and take off. That's all I care about, honey. You ain't leaving me like this. She's like, as long as you get seven figures of life insurance, you can go play chicken with a Mack truck. I don't care. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> I know they know too. They know how we are. It's okay. So I will. I'll talk to you later. You'll be all right. Hey. <laughs> so, I, I, he, okay. My point is this. My point is this. Um, moderation in all things is shown over and over in the scripture 
in multiple passages. You know, there's things we do that we don't have a whole lot of Bible for, but we pay a big price for them, and that's fine. And then there's things like moderation, where we have a stack of Bible and nobody mentions it. Because I don't want to stop eating cookies either. You see what I'm saying? My point is this. Um, Our lives must be brought into subjugation of one overriding goal. And that goal is this. We are not of this world. Our goals, are, our goals don't make sense to people of this world. Our life choices don't make sense to people of this world. We have chosen to walk with God. We have chosen a different kind of life, a different kind of path. Isaiah uh, 6 and 8 gives us the, uh, let me read it to you real quick. Isaiah 6 and 8. This is uh, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Uh, This is ethical goal number six, which is to serve God and not self. The whole principle, the whole themes and challenges of the New Testament uh, do not make sense if you are your own purpose, if you are your own goal, if your burden is for you. It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. To become a, a bond slave in the language of Bible times uh, means that we give up our lives in order to serve someone else. Uh, there's, there's really no way to translate that where it's you know comfortable to the modern mind or the modern heart. It literally is for someone by the act of their will and by the choice of love to serve God. And this is the challenge that we see in in the New Testament. This is the challenge that Christ invites us all to do, not to serve self, but to serve God. And finally, uh, principle number seven, we want to worship God, serve God, and not pursue comfort. Uh, When brother, brother... Pew was uh, with us a few years back, and uh, I was just talking to him. He was a he, he was one of the funnest, as far as elders I have known in my life. He was, in many ways, he was one of the funnest elders I have ever known to talk to. He had such a young mind. He was so interested in things, and uh, I've been with him and talked with him for, uh, I mean, like uh, over an hour, maybe two, and realized that he had not said a single thing. He just asked me question after question, and it was a shocking thing to me because that's just not how the world works. Um, The older you get, the more curmudgeonly you get, and the less you care about young people's opinions. And here he, this elder is, and he is just asking me question after question. I asked him one day, we were riding in a car, and I asked him, I said, what's the, 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 the biggest, in your opinion, just from your perspective, what's the biggest challenge the church faces right now? And some of you guys have heard me tell this story. He didn't hesitate a moment. It's almost like he knew what I was going to ask him. And he raised one hand, and he said, apathy. Number one problem the church faces right now, apathy. And we're so tempted to think about life in terms of the secular, what the career is, where we're going to retire, how we're going to live. I want to live on the lake. Well, me too. Can I have a bedroom? Uh, I want to have a house in uh, the Rockies. Yeah, can I use it? Um, We are so tempted 
to live that way. I'm not unsympathetic to it. I'm just as American as you are. In fact, I'm more American than some of you guys are. I am just as much of a product of a generation as you are. I'm just as tempted to define my life in terms of things I have to do and things I get to do. And in the midst of it, God invites us not to live for ourselves, not to pursue the values of this flesh, not to value our lives by the standards of the world, but to do something different, to see if we could hear a voice that beckons us. And like Abraham, we're invited to leave the ordinary, the comfortable, and go look for something that God has for us beyond what we know, beyond what we, what we feel safe with. And we follow the voice. And we follow the voice. The kingdom of heaven is more commonly described as a journey. Uh, and when you read the stories of biblical characters, I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. It's more commonly defined in terms of a journey uh, than almost anything else. And the Lord invites us to live a certain way. Um, it's easy for me as a pastor to define that in terms of good and bad. Um, it's easy for me as a pastor to define this in terms of, you know, don't act crazy, don't do go there, don't do that. Um, but if what you take away from that is what you need to do to be saved, you have missed the narrow way. If what you take away from church is what you need to do to be saved, you have missed the kind of life that the Spirit is beckoning you to. You have missed the challenge of following after God and living your life by the values of another kingdom and valuing your days in terms of heaven's goals rather than our goals. And it is hard. It's not just hard, it's stinking hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. But this is what God has invited us to do, to live a life of the Spirit. Am I making sense to anybody here? Lord, help us to live the life of the Spirit, God. Help us not just to perceive ourselves as, you know, now we're Christians and we're even apostolics and we know how to pray fervently and we know how to clap on the right beat. We know how to be boisterous in worship. And then as soon as we leave the church, we lay all that kind of to the side and then we think in terms of career and vacation and assets we really don't see the kind of life you are inviting us to live, which is a spiritual walk, which is us hosting your Shekinah glory in our hearts, which is us finding quiet places to soar upon the promises of God, to speak the authority of your name in the kingdoms that war in this earth and proclaim the name of Jesus and the dominion of God over all the confusion of this land. Lord, we are, we are ambassadors. We represent another kingdom. And when we get it right, people perceive the difference 
And we literally become people who live like a city on a hill. We, we are seen from all the plains around because we have, we have chosen to walk a certain way. We have, we have chosen to seek after your spirit. We have chosen to organize our day, not from the bottom up, but to organize it from the top down. And we've made time to sit in quiet places with you. We've made time to open our eyes to the hungry hearts that surround us in our places of employment. We've made time to pray over our neighbors, not as neighbors, but as souls. We don't just have a burden for the people near to us, God, but our hearts somehow is transformed to see the lost with your heart. And so our burden overflows us. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help me to walk with you, to hear your voice, to value my life in terms of heaven's kingdom, to value your words above my thoughts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand. step out of the chair you're in right now. Let's just come down across this front. I think that's appropriate right now. Oh, I feel such a strong touch of the Spirit. I feel such a strong visitation of the Lord. Just That's right. Our guests who are here, feel free to come with us. We're, we, we will host you well. We won't in any way make you embarrassed or awkward. We're just going to come here and we're going to take some moments here in the presence of God. In your own way, would you incline your heart toward God right now? When you say, Lord Jesus, I, 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 I desire to spend time with you. 
Would you express of your heart to God? How many of you will raise your hand and say that? I'm going to do better at making some quiet time in my life for God. I want to raise both hands. I want to do better. What's God's motivation? It's love. It's love. It's love. It's love. God's motivation is love. Why he did everything is because he'd like to spend time with you. That's why he moved heaven and earth, because he wants to spend time with you. That's why he died, so he could spend time with you. That's why he built a bridge, so he could spend time with you. The whole point of the love story is to create beings who don't have to love him, but they can choose to love him. And he's endured all the revilement and all the hatred and all of the shame from all the people who don't love him because he wanted so much to find the people who did love him. And so we say, before all who will hear, we love you, Lord Jesus. Draw us near to you. Receive us. Fill us with your spirit. Let us become the holy of holies that houses the Shekinah glory of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And now I praise you. I lift you up. I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. One more time, let's worship him here before we go our different ways. Oh, we bless your name, Lord Jesus. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. Just so you know, prayer opportunities here at the church. Uh, of course, we have ladies' prayer at noon on Fridays. Uh, we have pastors' prayer 9 a.m. on Saturdays. Uh, we have early, early service prayer. 8.30 on Sundays mornings in the prayer room and 10.30 in the prayer room before the 11 a.m. service. We have filled your weekend uh, with opportunities for you to have corporate prayer. And uh, the Lord has met us here every single time we've gathered and he has blessed us. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.